Medic! Hey everybody, welcome back to the Medic Up Podcast. Here's part two with Bill Harris from First Care Provider Organization. Remember, Bill is a 20-year U.S. Navy veteran, multiple combat tours to the Middle East, eight years serving beside U.S. Marines as a fleet Marine Force corpsman, and seven years supporting Naval Special Warfare Group. He currently teaches at a federal law enforcement training center and provides operational medical support to various agencies. He's on the board for the Committee for Tactical Emergency Casualty Care. He's the co- one of the co-founders of the nonprofit First Care Provider, which helps teach everyday citizens how to save lives in an emergency. He's a nationally registered paramedic and a military master training specialist and a tactical medical authority. So without further ado, here's Bill Harris, part two of our conversation about uh, First Care Provider. I mean, we've seen, you know, I think we've probably both seen it work, too. Um, as far as maybe uh, former students or participants coming back with a success story saying, hey, you know, I a week after I left your class, you know, I saw this horrible car accident and I was able to do this until the ambulance got there or the fire truck got there. Um, you know, do you guys do you guys get a lot of success stories or I know you got, you've got the Citizen Citizen Heroes podcast where you you wanted to find those people, but do you get every do you ever get people coming back? Even simple stuff. Oh, I put a pressure dressing on, and you know I never knew how to do that until I you know by happenstance took your course, or my friend drug me to your course because they didn't want to go by themselves, and I can't believe I got to apply that. Yeah, absolutely. We we do. You're right. On, on the podcast, that was the intent. Um, the problem was it's it's you know when you're growing a following, it's hard to find enough people. So if anybody listening. Um, you can email me at bill at firstcareprovider.org. If you've got a story or somebody that has a story that they want to share about how they've helped, um, we would love for them to have an opportunity to share it. Because the thought is more people hearing everyday citizens doing these extraordinary things, the more you start to realize I could do that. It's not that hard. Um, we do get that. In fact, we even get it on a lesser scale because we, we try to teach, you know, before we even get into medicine, like I said, we teach situational awareness. So we'll get people kind of back going. Hey, you know, I was a little more aware at the gas station, and, and, and I realized after having gone there for 10 years that every pump has an emergency stop button. I never noticed that before. Or I noticed there was a fire extinguisher at the restaurant that we've been eating at for 10 years. You know, so even those little things are huge, huge wins that people are taking a little bit of time to just assess their location and kind of know where they are in time and space. And that, that's a huge win. You know, the reality is we're talking about situational awareness, yet we're all walking around with our noses buried in the phone, right? And we've got YouTube videos of people walking into trains and walking into fountains and, you know, like we got, we got to get out of our phones. You know, no, it, it's great to have it. And I'll be the first to say, I'm, I'm just as addicted as everybody else, but you know, I try to force myself, Hey, when I get out of the car and I'm walking into the supermarket, I'm going to put it in my pocket. I'm not going to have it out. I'm not going to be referring to it, catching up on Instagram while, while walking through the parking lot that people are driving where they are there on their phones. We do. You get that. And I think you're, you're spot on with that. I think um, we, you know, we used to get a lot of that in the military classes. You know, I certainly remember getting stopped on base. I remember you taught me that live tissue class. And if it wasn't for that, I never would have put the tourniquet on my buddy who stepped on a mine and saved his life. So, you know, that's, you know, that that's feedback. That's that's way more valuable feedback than the paycheck. That, that which, by the way, is non-existent for a nonprofit right now, anyway. But. You know what I mean? But that's the fuel that we put in our tank. That's what motivates us to continue the, to cause, knowing it's the right thing to do and knowing that, you know, that's we live for those stories. And that we absolutely want to hear more of that. Yeah, I mean, that's really honestly, that's how I really validate my success. Like I, I always tell our students, like I gauge my success on your success. Like if you do well, it means I did OK. Um, and, 
when you know we teach PHTLS, pre-hospital trauma life support, but we also give TECC to our graduating paramedics, and, and we teach it a fair amount around wherever as normal continuing education, and then. You know, obviously modified because a lot of people want, I mean, I want that rescue task force end of it in there because that way at least you can leave the course. You've got the TECC skill set. You've got a little bit more. You can go back to your department. You guys can start having conversations. They can start doing some interagency operability stuff. But I get a lot even between PHTLS and just TECC where people go, man, you know, it's probably important that, you know, you know, EMS providers are the worst. We'll make fun of each other left and right about stuff. And, you know, we have a lot of people who carry tourniquets on their belt, you know, when they're on duty. Yeah, and me included, I've carried it for a long time. And people are like, what do you, oh, another another holster on the bat belt, man. You know, good thing you're fat because you need the real estate. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Yeah, but it's the first easy, I don't have to dig through my blue, my red bag to put my, put a tourniquet on somebody else. I definitely don't need to dig through the red bag to put a tourniquet on me. God forbid I knock on the door and the shotgun blast comes through. Um, something, you know, something stupid. Um but I really get a lot of a lot of students who leave and go, you know, I started carrying a tourniquet with me. You, know, you made me think, or I was able to apply this concept on this trauma. This guy got hit by a car, and I was able to do this. And it, the doc said, hey, this was this was a contributing factor to this guy's survival. So it's good to get that. I love getting that feedback. Um, we did a, a big for Stop the Bleed Day, National Stop the Bleed Day last year. We tried to do a mass training. I think we trained about 68, 70 people uh, at the at the college on on the Saturday, and um, we had people, and that was we budgeted an hour and a half for each course, and then 20 minutes in between. I think we ran four or five courses throughout the day, and um, you know I had pie on the sky idea. I wanted to train like a thousand people, but we got you know 70, no big deal. Um, we'll do better this year maybe, um, but people at the end of it was like what's next what can i what can i do next like is there another course that reinforces this um how do i get in touch with you can you come to my church can you come to my kids school can you can you do this can you do absolutely yeah yeah loved it i always feel important passing out the business cards um so yeah call me and you know 20 people ask that you get 10 people call and then you you know you show up and you teach uh you teach them stop the bleed stuff and uh you know, maybe somebody in that class calls back and says, can you come teach this group? And I mean, I think it's cool that we get it to kind of kind of feed off of, of, of a prior course. Um, but, you know, just there's still there's just still some of those inherent problems where you get there and people are like this isn't what I thought or or whatever. And I mean, that's why I kind of, you know, I'm, I really like this whole National Stop the Bleed month now. Um, that, you know, I think it's what it's May this year. I mean, it's great for us because it's going to be within that within that week of EMS week. So we're going to kind of parlay that into, you know, just the events that are happening throughout the week as part of a mass training. And, you know, we pick it up statewide, of course, and we have a lot of friends who do it on their own. And we, I try and get my friends from different agencies to come in and we just we just throw it out there and just, you know, make a big day of it. So do you guys have, yeah, big, well, uh, you guys have big plans for that, too? or? Yeah, we, we don't know specifically what we're going to do for the month, um, but we've been doing, we've been working pretty closely with, with Andy Fisher and the rest of the amazing team that he's put together at National Stop Believe Month. So our organizations are so aligned, and those guys are, are working toward becoming a nonprofit. Um, they've done some great things. So we will help with the planning, but we're trying to figure out how we can help and what we can do and, and what we, what we're looking at initially, we don't know for sure, but maybe being like an online presence, you know, for folks who can't get to a class, 
Um, and, and we spent a lot of time on that. And the struggle is that these are hands-on skills. Um, but again, if, if you spend 15 minutes with us online, we'll edutain you in a way that, you know, the next time there's a class, you'll sign up. You know, kind of like you said. Like, and, and I think, you know, you said 70 people last year. That's not, not that. I think that's amazing. That's 70 more people, far more prepared than they were. Um, and, and I think the other thing you touched on is great is that, you know, if you get 80 people in a room, 100 people in a room, they're not all going to do cartwheels out of here and be ecstatic about this. That's an unrealistic expectation, you know, but they all leave better than when they got there. And then you get a small percentage that are that are just begging for more. And, you know, those folks are the ones not leaving, asking questions. How do I buy kits? How do I get tourniquets? You know, they're, those are the ones you're really empowering. And for us, that's where we wanted first care provider to come in. It's the next natural progression for those people. And we've had folks, you know, then come back and say, hey, man, I took an EMT class because I was motivated and inspired by you guys. I'm now a volunteer, you know, medic on, on an ambulance, you know, which is great. And I don't think everybody that takes a stop to bleed class is going to do that. Um, but we wanted, hey, take a stop to bleed class. That's a great introduction. It's one small piece of this puzzle. And then let's make sure we're educating them. What are the other steps they could take if they do want more? And that that's sort of where we think the first care thing is the next logical step. Hey, here's a certification. One day thing, you come in, you get a card, you're good for two years, and now you're capable of doing so much more, you know, and then if you want to take it past that, then you decide, you know, what's the next level up, what, um, you know, so that, so we're definitely looking to do some stuff, whether it's some, some online stop, live stop the bleed courses, or maybe some, you know, just some seminars. I know we, we talked about maybe even doing um, like a live webinar week where we get uh, rescue task force folks on because there are a lot of folks who are sort of anti-rescue task force so we're, we're looking at maybe doing something along those lines uh, more than anything we just want to call awareness and there are some states where you know there aren't a lot of opportunities for classes and we're trying to get more instructors involved and trying to help with the recruiting of instructors process of it so so yeah we're working closely with those with the folks over there and we're we're trying to come up with something that'll be exciting um, the other thing we're trying to do is use our leverage with the kit manufacturers to see about doing giveaways. Because really what we'd like to do is not just give tourniquets away or give things away to the folks who are participating, but we want to give stuff away to folks like you, the guys who are out there really making a difference, donating their time and training the masses. So maybe rewards for folks who've trained the most people or, you know, who've run the most classes. Because, I mean, those are the true difference makers in the space. Absolutely. I think you guys are doing a great job with it. And I think, I mean, I think I've really... I've, I've followed First Care Provider, I think maybe from its inception, and I've seen the progress that you've made, um, just, you know, the the, uh, the updating of the website, the training materials, uh, all of it. And I, I think you guys are doing a great job. And I like that it's just it doesn't stop at stop the bleed. Like, I think everyone thinks stop the bleed is something completely different. You know, stop the bleed is an initiative. It's just a it's a group of it's a it's a it's a skill set it's a it's a mindset change you know first care provider it puts it out there it makes it i think a lot more palatable i think you know your slide sets with, and even the website that it's just everyday people all walks of life who are again just like the stop the bleed initiative says let's empower you to be able to respond you know it kind of, and it also goes along with like even the fema course until help arrives all those little all the little sayings that came up um, when you, you touched on it earlier, uh, earlier, you know, first care provider doesn't say the March algorithm. It's, 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 you know, the race to safety. And then within race to safety is the care and care has its own algorithm. And that's really, that's really simple stuff, simple, easy, digestible stuff for the normal everyday person who either works in a school, an office building, the sports club, whatever it is. 
to be able to re to be able to recall that uh, versus like oh my goodness you know March algorithm March pause hitman all the all the yeah. military ravine yeah are yeah. we in the prolonged field care phase indirect care, yeah. direct care all that like I don't I can't I even when I teach I go between the military and the and the civilian terms yeah. I'm just like listen the, the the threats neutralized we're here we're doing this this is a casualty collection point this is not the treatment tarps and it's so hard to you know, even with the first responders, they're like, so is this a primary CCP? I'm like, I don't know. It's just where a lot of people are. Let's just start treating them and get them out of here. They need a surgeon. <laughs> yeah, what do you want to do? So I think I think you guys are doing a great job. Um, <clears throat> the podcast, I think that uh, – I think you said earlier you kind of had kind of uh, – We're going to resurrect it. And maybe maybe that will be – yeah, maybe that that's what we'll do for, you know, for National Stop the Bleed Month as well is resurrect it. We have a great – we have a, a two-part episode, um, and it was – we interviewed two young ladies that were at the Out um, 91 Harvest Festival in Las Vegas. And there's so many things that they, that they touch on, you know, and it's not even so much life-saving stuff. Um, it's more the situational awareness stuff. And it's, so those are sort of in the can already. So maybe we'll re-release those two and then, you know, have a plan to, to do a few more. Cause I think that would be great. But I, I think, you know, what you said, Chris, it hit home with me because you're right. It, we try to do so much and it gets the lines get so blurred and what ends up happening in our courses is we lose sight of the fact that all medicine in the world doesn't matter if it's not partnered with rapid transfer to higher levels of care so all of those algorithms i always say you know when i teach class i always put up the letter g i'm like give me your algorithm and i'll write them on the board and i'm like you know what's missing and they'll say oh you know i always say the letter g and like well what's that i'm like gas pedal. i'm like none of this stuff matters if you're not getting on a gas pedal get these folks where they have to get to as quickly as possible you know so it doesn't mean prolonged field care doesn't have value it, it doesn't you know but it but i think we lose sight of that when we get wrapped up in ravine and all this other march pause and okay well how about ventilator management how about let's start monitoring inos and doing foley catheter like stop what, what are we really doing <laughs> let's here just go to the hospital i need now. yeah i need you to do four minutes of good medicine and get this person out of here right and me and again maybe stop a few of those self-extricating uh green tags and be like no you come here i need you to hold pressure on this guy's leg i'll be back in five minutes don't leave yeah I, and the stop the bleed thing's interesting for us because initially we were a little resistant to it um not not because we didn't love the idea of it we just felt as though one of the things that has hindered us was was uh, excuse me. One of the things that hindered us was we don't want to just grandfather everybody in as an instructor. We want to try to maintain the quality of it this way that we know you're getting the right information from somebody who who should be the one giving it to you. And so one of the things initially was stop the bleed is there really was no consistency, and it was completely up to the instructor. And we we were seeing classes that were 30 minutes long with 100 people in a gym and they didn't even have 100 tourniquets, you know. And I'm like. How do we call attention to it? It's still better than where we were five years ago because now at least 100 people understand the concept of tourniquet. But don't confuse that with now you're certified or don't confuse that with now you know, you've had all that there is that's out there. So initially we were a little resistant to it. And, and if you saw like recently for the American College Surgeons, you know, they want to get more instructors and I understand that. And they're like, okay, here's a list, a list of folks who are now eligible. If you're a nutritionalist, if you're a, a certified athletic trainer, I'm like, and no disrespect to anybody who's listening who's a nutritionist, I don't know that that qualifies you to teach people tourniquets. Right. Just, you know what I mean? So I'm paging through a 44 slide slide deck and maybe watching a quick instructional video because, I mean, if I watch you put that tourniquet on and be like, oh, here's all the mistakes you're making because yeah. we've been yep. doing it for years. 
and and we do that, right? We're snakes. Every video that comes up, we're all watching, waiting for the mistakes so we can jump on them, you know, in Facebook. Um, and that that was part of part of why we created our own stop the bleed slide deck and why we started attempting. We just completed our first stop the bleed instructor course. We're like, hey, listen, you don't have to be an instructor with us, and you don't have to take the course. And if you want to do your own, you're welcome to. But if you do it with us, we're going to invest a, sh- a buttload of time with you because it was all done live. And we're going to make sure that you know. And, and the argument or the question that we never really got an answer to, and I'd love to hear your, your, your opinion, is do you need to have experience, in your opinion, do you need to have experience in doing these things in order to teach someone else to do them? Right? Because that, that, at the end of the day, is, is the crux of this whole argument. So I, I was actually going to ask the reverse of that of you <laughs> because as a been there, done that prior military experience evolving with TCCC and working with some, you know, tier one agencies, um, there's a lot of stuff. And this causes me personal, I don't know, maybe anguish. I don't know, maybe ulcers. But um, every once in a while uh, in the Internet community, it comes up that hey, if you haven't kicked doors or, you know, worn a different color beret than everybody else, you shouldn't be teaching TCCC, TECC. I'm like, well, you know, I don't, I start off every class with, I don't kick doors. I've never been on a SWAT team. I don't do this. I don't have prior military training. I was never in the military, but I will teach you trauma care. I will teach you evidence-based trauma care with the proper mindset and the proper equipment. How you apply that after you leave class is how you do it. And when you leave a two-day NAEMT, you know, or C-Tech type TECC course, you're you're not an 18 Delta, you're not a pararescue man, you're not a SWAT medic, you're not you're not a secret squirrel. You're just you know how to properly place a tourniquet, how a chest seal works, how a chest needle decompression works how a surgical crike, the benefits of a surgical crike that, again, you may or may not be able to do based on your medical director. So I, I run into that a lot. And then I, I hear some comments that come up on the internet, like bet your instructor, this, that, and the other thing. And I go, man, are they talking about me? I shouldn't be teaching how to put a tourniquet on anymore or because I don't wear enough Velcro. Like it's not, you know, but I'm, I'm super upfront about it. And it, I see how that translates to the, the stop the bleed side of it where you have someone, and I can take this from, it's hard for me because it's a lot of first responders that I know who teach it. I don't know a lot of outside people who are not in the medical community who, who want to do it. I'm sure they're out there. I hope that they would come and get some type of training or like, hey, come come to my class. Tell me if I'm doing something right or wrong. You guys are the experts. Um, so it's it's hard for me to answer, but I think you, you, you might not need the experience. I mean, I've only put two tourniquets on pre-hospitally, and I have plenty of friends who've done four, five, or six of them, um, you know. And, and I have no doubt you can you can run a tourniquet lab and know what to look for and understand when it's done right, when it's wrong. I, I think your answer is the A-plus answer. I completely agree with you. Um, I don't think you need to be an 18 to or a door kit. But I think you have to be honest with people. You have to start with hey, – and even for me, listen, I'm a, I'm a medic that was a dev group. I'm not a PJ, right? I, I'll tell you, these are the things I have done, and these are the things I haven't. Um, but I think that's an important piece of the puzzle. And I think part of the reason, I think I think you've got to figure it out, right? Is is don't listen to the haters because they're always going to hate, right? Don't listen to the folks who are trolling on Facebook because they're always going to troll. But part of the reason they do that is because there are a lot of people who are just trying to be tacticaler than they really are, and 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 being disingenuous with what their backgrounds are, or just frankly teaching. Like I guarantee you, you're not teaching 
you know, you're not doing an hour and a half lecture on the differences between cover and concealment and how to tactically move and how, you know, you're, you're teaching in the lane that you belong in. No, um, I, I bring cops to my course to teach that. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that's, that's their specialty. Yeah. So no, absolutely. I think that that makes the most sense in the world. And I don't, I don't, let me rewind. I don't have a problem with somebody who's a nutritionist teaching this. I just think we have to find a way that there's a system that says, you know, you've been through some vetting process, you know, just like we do with CPR. And that, and that to me, again, part of what made us start First Care is they're trying to take the way we do the CPR and AD model, and that's how they're trying to unveil this on the world. So initially, when they started just publicly putting kits up, they're like, oh, don't worry, there's instructions on the tourniquet. And we're like, <laughs> yeah. are you kidding me? I'm like, gonna, who's going to read the instructions? That. I'm going to read that while I'm holding direct pressure and yeah. then trying to undo the yeah. tourniquet to put on your leg and dodge the blood. Yep. Right, right, right. Yep, yeah, oh, and then they, then they followed the they followed the American Heart or the Red Cross model for CPR, where you know ninety some odd percent of the instructors have never done it, teaching it to ninety five percent of the public that'll never do it either. And it doesn't mean we should stop doing CPR classes. It just means I don't know that this fits in that realm. You know that the it, the tourniquets aren't an AED where it's really hard to mess up and it talks you through the process. So I just think we want to be a source or we want to help put together a source where, hey, if you're gonna go take a class, we know that. The person standing up there in front of you belongs in front of you because they hit X wickets and, and, you know, somewhere along the line, they're vetted somehow, some way. Um, and that's a challenge, right? And and the race in the beginning is just to immerse the market with this and get as many people out there up and running. And I don't know that that's the best way to go about it. We don't feel that's the best way to go about it. Well, I think they, I think they tried to parlay that off of the like the hands-only CPR movement, the community CPR, like something's better than nothing. Get on the chest, push hard and fast. You don't need to do mouth yeah. to mouth because it doesn't it doesn't show to work, and you, we know you don't want to get cooties. So let's just say, hey, if you only have a ten minute, you know, we do the we do a lot of sidewalk CPR classes like that. In five minutes, we teach you to put your hands on the chest and call for help. You don't you're not getting a certification card that has to expire every two years. Um, yep, and I think we should be doing that with tourniquets. I'm right. totally okay so, with that. So I think it should. I think it should be the reverse. I think on the on the stop the bleed side, I think that there should be a certification course instead of the five minute at the uh, right before the church potluck. We teach you how to tighten a tourniquet in case somebody comes in here and shoots everybody one day. Um, me again. So you're right. I think you get that. You get someone who's got a little bit of formal education. They've learned the pearls and the pitfalls that we've learned in our formal first responder or military education and can pass that on because that's who would teach that just like we teach the CPR certification and then come back every two years, uh, you know, come back, show us, run a course, do a teach back, do what you got to do. Even if it's, you know, a simple, again, I really, those are skills. Those are hands-on skills based things. It sounds stupid, but put the chest seal on, you know, I watch people argue, Oh, the vents in the wrong place. How about just put it over the hole? Let's start there. And then yeah. we'll, we'll troubleshoot after that. I just want you to put it on. I don't need to hear, well, I prefer three-sided. I prefer four-sided. I prefer uh, no vents yeah. in the back, vents in the front. The vent has to be at a 45-degree angle. The vents at a Yeah, I prefer you show me evidence data that that makes a difference. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, well, I want the blood to drain if they're wearing body armor. That's military okay. and first responder. That's not mm-hmm. granny at the church who showed up on the wrong day. I just need you to seal the box. That's what I need you to do. Yeah. Let's let, we can argue well, about that, it later. Yeah, and the flip side of the argument is I know plenty of guys, law enforcement and first responder and military, that have a ton of experience that are amazing medics, and frankly, they're just not good instructors. Right. So just because you have experience in something doesn't vet you or make you qualified 
or you know make you the best candidate potentially to share these things with other people. I think that's that's respecting the profession of 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 an what an instructor really is. Just because you're good at something doesn't make you good at teaching other people it. That that's a different skill set. So I think that's something we're we're trying to take into account. You know the the thing for me that I I talk a lot about is when we teach medics, it's a different approach. And and where I changed my stance on that was. I saw a lot of people teaching medics and they're trying to teach them how to do TECC. And I get that, right? I, I want you to show me you can go through March, you can put a chest seal on, you can kind of watch this patient. And I understand that. And, and when medics start to finally get good at it, they're like, you know, they'll be a little proud of themselves and say, okay, you know, I'm good. I can come in here and I can find the source of bleeding and I can go through the algorithm. And my, my stance on that is, listen, if you're a medic, I, here's the approach I want you to take. Obviously, you need to be you need to be not good enough at it that you can go through the algorithm. You need to be good enough at it that you can teach it to other people, right? Because that's the old Einstein quote. If you can't teach this to a third grader, you don't know it well enough. Um, but the other approach for a medic is is what we figured out with the military thing is now everybody's got gear and everybody's got training, right? They're all force multipliers. So to the military medic to be good in a large scale event or scenario, what I tell them is. You being a medic, you applying marches, you playing your instrument. And if you're going to show me you know how to play your instrument well, that's okay. But that's not what interests me. What interests me is that you know how to conduct the orchestra. Because, frankly, all of these people now who have gear and training, that's those are your instruments. Show me you can manage that. And that's a very different thing to teach a medic. A medic will come in and, and want to put tourniquets on everybody and want to crank this guy. Well, you can't do that if you're managing all of the other stuff that's happening. And that's a whole different course and a whole different thing. And, and frankly, it's an unrealistic expectation for us to think our medics going to be able to do that if they don't even have the baseline knowledge. I agree 100. percent I think uh, I think you're onto something there with, uh, you know, train the trainer like an actual train the trainer and give them some some education concepts and instructional concepts and see if they're you know they're apt to do it or if you know or I think everybody can do I think everyone can do it I think some people just need some work and some con conceptual stuff and uh, you know it sounds sounds crazy to do a two-day instructor course to teach a hour and you know 30 minute class but i think uh i think the the quality of education and will will go up and i also think that means that your participant that walks out of that cl that course is going to it's going to have a lot more stuff imprinted on them and you know make it a lot more that training a lot more salient that they can go out and feel more confident and empowered and go use it so the level of instruction. Well, yeah, I think you're 100 percent yeah. right on. Yeah, and the other thing I'd, I'd encourage anybody that's teaching to do is is just get out there and teach with other people, right? I I became a much better instructor having taught large scale military courses where we're constantly bringing in different cadre of folks, especially when I was uh, running the class because now I, I'm not stuck pigeonholed running one evolution, but I'm walking around, and you know when you teach something you get to learn it twice, and now you get to learn. You know, like I, I didn't learn anything new about an NPA that I didn't know, but I learned different methods to make people understand it. I learned different verbiage that guys were using or gals were using. And maybe go, you know what, I'm going to take that. Right? If, if you're good at this, get, get out there, learn from other instructors. And that's really what we wanted to create with our Facebook groups. I mean, get in here with other instructors and let's, let's work together to figure out what's working, what's not. What can I share with you? Like th there's mistakes you're going to make that I made two years ago. And frankly, you shouldn't have to make those mistakes. So. So that that's really the big thing. How do we how do we pool our resources and get around other folks that are going to make us better at our craft? Absolutely, I agree one hundred percent. I think you guys are absolutely onto something there, and I, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. So, what else? Um, what are you guys working on? Do you guys have any besides that? Do you guys have anything else coming up? Any personal projects you want to promote? Something like that? 
Uh, yeah, like I said, we're doing the National Stop the Bleed Month. I don't know what specific it's going to be. Our big, big focus right now, we're getting ready to launch what's called the First Care Project. And what we're going to do is, and this is the first we, we've talked about it, but we're going to, um, we have a specific kit that we make called our Care Kit. Um, and we're going to, we've kind of worked it out now mathematically where for every Care Kit that we sell, we're going to donate a Care Kit to a school, which is a, a really big deal for us. Fantastic. Um, and, and one of the things we've done with that kit, we've put a uh, QRC code that you can scan with your phone. You can actually do it with a camera on your iPhone, and it'll immediately go to a website. It'll take it right to the website, and there'll be training videos. I'm going to use every piece of kit that's in there, how to talk you through each item. You know, and again, not, not that watching a YouTube video makes you an expert, but it's something. It's a great start. And the hope is all of these videos encourage folks to get out there and get into a softball class to become first care providers. You know, but it's something. And, and the reality is we can run the greatest classes on the planet. We're never going to get all these people to show up. People are going to do what they want to do. People love online training. They love doing stuff from the comfort of their home. So if they're going to do it anyway, let's let's try to get the best product out there for their hands. So we're really excited that, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to, and we're going to one for one it. Um, because the one thing that folks have talked about with our kit is it's a very slim, low profile kit. It was created really put in your jacket because um, you brought up the carry a tourniquet every day thing. And, and to me, that that changed my perspective a lot. I carry a cat everywhere I went. And then I finally had enough discussions with my wife. And she's like, I don't care how many classes you take, you give me, or how many statistics you show me, I'm never going to put this in my purse. Right? And that's what made me change my perspective and go, you know what? I'll take a SWAT tee. It's not the best. It doesn't have the greatest statistics otherwise. But I know you know how to use it. And you're at least willing to carry it. So the argument was – you know, would you rather me carry something that's not as good or nothing at all? Because that's those are the two choices she gave me. You know, so we made this low-profile kit that I know people will carry, and the argument is, well, it only has a SWAT tee in it. I'm like, yeah, and, and I would recommend you carry a cat or a soft tee or something else with it. So we're going to we're gonna, you know, kind of flip-flop. So if we sell a kit, we'll donate a kit to a school. If we sell a second kit, we'll donate a cat or a soft tee to a school. So everywhere those kits are placed, there'll be a you know a TCCC recommended tourniquet, which is obviously the all the rage these days with what's recommended and what's not, and who. And and I get that, and we understand that. Um, my argument, our our argument all along has been, uh, even if it's an approved tourniquet, that doesn't matter if you haven't really properly been trained how to use this. We've got a very high failure rate for folks putting these tourniquets on in the studies we've seen. Because we're not giving them enough practice and we're not running enough scenarios where we're stress inoculating people. So, and, and I think instructors now are starting to get that. You're seeing YouTube videos of people with gloves on, with soap on their hands, or, you know, low light stuff. You know, finding ways to stress them in a, in a small classroom that make them understand that this is a, a fine motor skill, which, you know, under stress is not going to be easy to do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Uh, that's also, again, from the, the training aspect of it, that's why, you know, that first that typical, you know, 90-minute stop-the-bleed type course, I'm like, look, let's put it on under the most perfect conditions ever. So at least maybe you go home, you buy a training tourniquet, and every week or so you, you self-apply it or you apply it to your leg or, your, or your, your family member's leg, whatever it is. And then, you know, hopefully you come back and they're the people who go, what's next? And we go, all right, let's stress you out. All right, let's turn the lights off. Uh, let's make it. Let's pull it. Let's play the loud music, or let's surprise you with it's a child you have to put it on to. Um, one thing I've always wanted to do in our courses is to put heart rate monitors on people and not tell them that they're going to be treating children. 
and see watch their heart rate go through the roof and their fine motor skills just go they're just gone um you know just just again you know that 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 typical nerd in me wants to see that i know it's going to happen um but at the same time you know and then start comparing it from civilian to first responder first responder to military um you know and, and just see just see where it goes because i think there's a lot more than it, but i think it's also what happened to cpr with you know the uh, the yuck factor or as uh, along the same lines of you know my wife doesn't want to carry a cat tourniquet in her purse all the time let alone four because we have children um you know who car- who really carries a cpr mask with them now again i'm a nerd and i do it's probably in, yeah. a, in a shoulder bag but just because um, and I think it's expected of us, right? You're a medic. They're all going to look right. at you. Go, hey, guy who's been doing this for 30 years. Where's your stuff? Right. There's there's one in the glove box, the the glove compartment in my car, and there's one usually thrown in a backpack along with a bleeding kit. Um, but at the same time, you can't expect that of everyone to go. It's just like anyone who carries a gun, you know, or concealed carry uh, permit. I dress around my gun. You know, it's comforting, not comfortable. What you know, all the little cliches you hear. You know, like the, I, I, I don't really carry a tourniquet on my ankle because it's just like I don't carry a gun on my ankle. I don't train to access it. Uh, the last couple of days, just because I just tried a, I tried an ankle holder on. It's pretty cool. I don't even know it's there, but now I want to carry everything else with it instead of just the tourniquet. I want my chest needle. I want my, I want my compression dressing that I can also use yeah, I, as a chest seal. So, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that folks are willing to take stuff from the military but they'll pick and choose which stuff right right like they'll, they'll mock you for carrying gear yet if you look at the military like everybody's got a tourniquet and it's within arm's reach you know what i mean like if you don't have it within arm's reach it doesn't exist if it's in a bag if it's in your trunk if it's then it doesn't exist and you have to you know what i mean that that's 100 percent a military thing so people won't take that but they'll take the other stuff of the military you know so it's interesting to me like if you're gonna if you're gonna take the system take it all you know and i get it's your personal right to pick and choose what you want but it's just lessons learned. And again, I always say we're not perfect. The military is not perfect either. We were really proud of ourselves in 2003 because everybody had a tourniquet. It took us three more years to realize you have four limbs. Right. And when, and when you're in an IED, the chances of getting hit in one extremity is small. So, you know, it's it just, again, it's all just mistakes that we've made that we're trying to share with people so they don't repeat them. Uh, every time I see a patrol officer, I travel for a living. And every time I see a, a police officer, first question I ask, you got any med gear? Yeah, it's in my trunk. Well, your trunk's okay, very we, well protected. <laughs> exactly. If your trunk bleeds to death, it's covered. Right. And I'm like, and that's at least better than where we were five years ago. But it's now making them understand. Hey, man, if you you get out, you know, you get in a gunfight, you chase a guy three blocks. How's the trunk going to help you? You know, it's not. So, so it's just you know, like, just I guess for us, just stay the course is the message for most folks. We we've made great strides so far. We all need to just band together, be a little less harsh and cynical of each other. Like you said, all the Facebook trolling. Let's pool our resources and and let's continue the effort. I think we've got a fair number of people trained, but there's still, you know, when I do active shooter classes or we get together any public things, I'll ask how many folks have even heard of Stop the Bleed? You know, and I'll get, you know, less than 2% of the room will even raise their hands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So so we have a lot of work left to do together collectively. I agree. I love that it's in the last two years, I think it's moved really, really fast. Um, there's like a lot of, like you said, a lot of strides in the instructing and getting it out there. But I mean, in 2015, when it came out and, you know, I, I always kind of, I don't, maybe I don't joke about it, but when the FEMA had, uh, put out the rollout video for stop the bleed before, I'm sorry, the white house put it out before FEMA took it over and then DHS, um, it was filmed here in Greenville. It's a, it's, oh, wow. it was filmed here and it was filmed with a few of our paramedics 
uh, with with a, a patient and a and a bystander who who assisted her. And uh, I remember when I some, I remember them coming in or somebody had asked like, hey, who wants to do this video for something? And a couple of medics were like, yeah, I'm free, I'll do it. And you know, it was a couple like B roll type shots, and it was our medical our, our medical directors on it, and it was this big thing, and it came out, and I was like, hmm, stop the bleed, what's this? And looked it up, man, that thing sat there really from 2015 mm-hmm. to almost the end of 2016 and no one talked about it no one talked about stop the bleed no one said anything about uh you know civilians placing tourniquets because i mean we were just getting ems you know from 2009 when it was added to registry to kind of up to speed four or five years later um and i was like wow that was pretty cool it was filmed here in greenville and you know we don't we weren't yeah i didn't know that we That's weren't cool. like the first people to be doing it and I was like, well, let's look into it a little further. And, you know, and it just kind of still was a little stagnant. And then it kind of, you know, unfortunately, I mean, what, what, did, what really drove it? Sandy Hook, uh, all, the, all the mass shootings. It's like, okay, we, we got to do something. Uh, you know, well, so. it's interesting that there are still agencies that aren't embracing any of it. Yeah. Just, I'll still talk to them. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. Right. Like, how, like, like, it's negligible, our view on this. this one. And I think, it, like, it, I, I, I tell people all the time in my classes, we're going to get to a point where there are public access kits every place there's an AED. I think we'll get legislation at some point to that point. But let's get ahead of it. Let's train you on how to use it before we get right. to that. Like, Absolutely. It, I, I tried to go to R- Richmond, Virginia. I have an older son that lives there, and I tried to go to a fire station there years ago when I first got out. Because that's another misconception I think that we had. It's like, hey, we're going to hang a shingle. We're going to tell the world how awesome this is, and they're all going to come and drink from the fountain. And We got laughed at. I literally got laughed out of a firehouse. They were like, we're not for turn to get some people. And, and honestly, Doc Bobco and I brought up the, the first care concept at a CTEC meeting, and they laughed at us. They were like, what are you going to start teaching tourniquets to school teachers? And we're like, yes, that's exactly yes. what we propose to do. And they laughed us at, at the meeting. They're like, well, we can't even figure out how to get, you know, how to, how to do law enforcement yet. So, you know, and it's what's funny for me is it all comes full circle, right? That, that EMS agency in Virginia that laughed me out of the firehouse now has a YouTube channel teaching civilians how to apply tourniquets. So I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. You know, and they were like, hey, we're never going to do tourniquets on this fire station. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's just a matter of waiting it out. And, and you know, like nothing changes overnight. You just got to be patient. And, 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 you know, DHS to its credit was, was at the forefront, but it, it, everybody thinks it's this massive, big, largely funded effort. And it's not, it's just one, you know, one former Navy medic guy who, you know, who had a focus group and a small amount of funding and, you know, it's an initiative. It was just yeah. to promote some awareness. That's yeah. all there was. There's no, there's no Stop the Bleed University anywhere. There's no massive think tank of folks getting together every week to, to further the cause, you know, and that's kind of where the National Stop the Bleed Day guys have come in. Um, you know, and the American College of Surgeons obviously have been heavily involved, um, exerting their sort of force and will, which, you know, to... So to their credit, in some ways, has helped. They're definitely a big gorilla in the room. So. Well, good deal, man. I think you're. I think you're right. I think we have a lot of work to do. Let's just keep pushing forward with it. Get it out there and get people trained and, you know, do what we got to do, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, man. Thank you for coming on. And, uh, you know, I'll have you on again, and we'll talk more after maybe after Stop the Bleed Month and see what happened. That would be awesome. Anybody wants to, to find us, we're at firstcareprovider.org. And like I said, we're going to launch our First Care project shortly, and you'll see links to that, obviously, on social media. Follow us on Instagram. We need help. We've got our doctor. That's probably our biggest struggle. People ask, what's your biggest struggle with the organization? I'm like, 
biggest struggle is we're very small and the guys we have are passionate and great, but we need help. Um, our doctor is the guy running our Instagram account and he doesn't know why we don't have 10,000 followers. And I'm like, cause it looks like, it looks like a 40 year old doctor does our Instagram account. That's why. Funny. I will link to everything that you guys are on and everything, everything I can find and get it out there and push the info out and get the word out. And I mean, again, all, you know, all eight followers of the podcast, I'll let them know. So. <laughs> hey, you got to stay the course, man. We'll, we'll do the same. We'll make sure we promote it. So. Super cool, man. Thanks. It's great talking to you. You too. Thanks, Chris. Have all a right. great day. All right, man. You too.